welcome to LambdaCast. My name is Davey Kuntz, and I am joined this week by my co-host, Logan Burnett. Hello. We, as always, want to hear from you. You can shoot us an email, contact at LambdaCast.com. You can leave a message on LambdaCast.com itself. There's a sort of a comment section that you can have on any given episode. You can also find us lurking on fpchat.com, which is an invite for a uh, Slack community, a fairly large uh, Slack community around functional programming, which is a great place to hang out if you're looking to learn. And with that said, I think we're going to go straight into our topic this time uh, about morphisms. Now, this is uh, definitely sort of, you might be scratching your head and be like, what does a podcast that's sort of about, you know, functional programming for, for everyone, why, why are they talking about morphisms? And really, uh, I think we wanted to get this episode kind of out of the way because there's these words that come up in casual conversation, actually, amongst functional programmers sometimes, especially way more towards like the Haskell end of the spectrum. I don't think if you're a closure programmer, you're going to be talking about homomorphisms or isomorphisms or whatever. But it certainly comes up in the, the Haskell, the Idris, uh, PureScript type communities. Um, and even you see it in areas like Ramda in JavaScript. These these things, uh, these words come up, and so we just kind of wanted to go through them, talk about what they mean. They sound really big and scary, but like like most things, when you break them down, they're not that bad. And so we're just going to go through a couple of those. Uh, this is not an exhaustive treatment on this. <laughs> this is a little window into a much bigger idea um, called category theory. I am not an expert on category theory. I actually don't think anyone's an expert on category theory. Even category theorists would probably tell you they're not experts as well. Uh, it's a very, very big topic. Um, if you were sort of, to broadly put it, uh, category theory is the math of math. It's the like how math works. If math is how the world works, category theory is how math works. So if that's not pretty meta and abstract already, uh, you know, you can kind of get a sense where that's where that takes you. However, because it's all about structure and organization and um, patterns, there are things that do have a lot of relationships to software because we're all about finding patterns and structure that works for us. And clearly there's lots of ways to formulate an answer to any question, but there's gonna be better and worse formulations of that, right? More general and more specific. So we're gonna talk through some of these ideas. And uh, Logan, did you have some questions to lead off with or, um, do you want to just get straight into these? Uh, not to lead off with. Let's just jump in. Jump in. Okay. So the first word you're probably going to run into is this word morphism, which I can almost never hear without thinking of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers every time I hear about it. Uh, so if you hear oh, Go Go Power Rangers in your head right now. You just ruined it for me. Okay. I did well, not have that. Well, now, now you <laughs> will forevermore. Uh, so amorphism. And amorphism sounds <laughs> hopefully it doesn't sound too super crazy you may actually um know some of the parts of the word so morph is to change right you've probably run into that right and ism there's lots of words that have sort of ism endings you can probably have an intuition about what ism is about so we put those together morphism it's a thing that changes something and broadly speaking from a category theory perspective it is a transformation from a value in one cat from Sorry, they don't come by. An object in one category to an object in another category. And objects and categories, for our purposes, mean 
types is what they mean. Uh, so if we think of a morphism, you could think of it as a function that takes a value of one type and produces a value of potentially another type. It doesn't have to be, but it can be another type. So if you have a function that has a signature, A goes in, B comes out, congratulations, you have a morphism. At which point you're probably going like, this is pretty much the most basic possible thing you can do with a programming language. Why is this special or interesting in any way? Yeah, whenever, whenever I'm talking to Dave offline, um, he often speaks in terms of it has foldable, it has, or it has fold, it has map. Um, when describing certain functions or operations you can do. Uh, my understanding is morphisms basically have map using that same jargon, which isn't in the OO sense like it has this method hanging off of it. It just means that you can use it with map. So oh, I see. You're saying like um, if the thing is mappable, if there is a way to map it, then it right. has this sort of characteristic. Yeah. And so um, there is a specific morphism that is exactly what you're saying that we'll get to. So these so, morphisms, there's morphisms that won't work with map? Um, there's morphisms that aren't map, is what I should say. So you're talking about the function, the A to B function that goes inside map? Yeah, yeah. You pass in? Um, right. So any function that fits that is a morphism. Right. And so in that sense, yes, every, like, there, may, there are infinite functions that can be the, the transformation part of a map. Right. Um, but those are sort of, that's like a very general thing. That's not saying a whole lot, right? That's just saying it's A to B. Yeah. So we might say that there is less structure there than other structures. Um, and when I say structure, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, fields in an object or inheritance or, or those kinds of structures. It's more like um, the rules around something. And rules not in the bad sense of like, oh, now we're encumbered because we have to follow these. It's more like the more we know about this thing, the more well-defined it is. And I, I like to talk about this trade-off between like power and flexibility. So the more you define something, the more uh, the less power you actually have with something, often the more you can know about it in advance, like a constant. You cannot do much with a constant, but you will never be surprised by a constant ever. <laughs> Right. right. It is the ultimate in like, it, it does exactly what you expect it to do. And then there's stuff like a variable in a dynamic programming language, dynamically typed programming language. You have no idea what it's going to be, but you can do pretty much anything with it, right? You can change that to something totally different. You do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Metaprogramming is usually really easy, but at the cost of now the number of things that we can say about this with certainty approaches zero. Right. Maybe it doesn't go quite to zero, but it goes pretty darn close in some cases. Right. So when we talk about these sort of uh, things around morphisms, we're going to be talking about different structures, and those structures uh, constrain the morphism in some way, but that tells us more about what it does and like what it's capable of and what it's useful for. So that we, we have some specialized morphisms, is what yes. you're saying? Yes. So all these are morphisms. So all of these are take a value of some type and produce a value of some type. All right. So... I, I have a question before we jump too deep into it. So, mm -hmm. so in functional programming, if we're talking about pure functions, that means that they basically have to take something in and they have an output. Yeah, they have to have an input and an output. So does that mean that all functions are morphisms? Yes. Oh. All pure functions are morphisms. Interesting. Okay. But, I mean, it, it's, it's a really simple concept. Like many things, like immutability and pure function, really simple concept. 
Um, so let's go into the first one. And this will hopefully give you a better sense of like the kind of thing this is talking about. So the first one is an endomorphism. Okay. So endomorphisms, um, that is a, uh, a morphism that goes uh, from a type to itself. So to the same type, right? So if you have an endomorphism, um, you're basically, you have an A to A function. This would be like your plus one or something. Yeah, exactly. Plus uh, on integers, for example, takes in ints and returns an in int. So it goes from the category of integers to the category of integers, from the, the type of integers to integers. So that's endomorphism. Not very complicated. Endo meaning same or similar. Yes, endo in this case meaning the same or similar. Exactly. Okay. So that's an endomorphism. And, and I mean, like that, that's all there is to it. It's <laughs> if the type is the same on both ends, it's an endomorphism. So not hard. But if someone says, oh, blah, 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 because it's an endomorphism, they are relying on the uh, characteristic of the morphism that it does uh, preserve the type to make some assumption about, right? Or, or reason about its suitability for a certain purpose, right? There may be map-like things you want to do that it's very important that it's an endomorphism that's passed in there, not just any morphism, not just any it's random an, A to B. It's an A to A, not an A to B. Exactly. That may be a, an important characteristic or property at some point when you're thinking about this. So that's an endomorphism. Uh, next one would be isomorphism. So I know what this one is. You do? Okay. So, so iso basically means it's the same on both sides um right like like if you bisect a, a, a human down the middle like they're more or less the same i see like I they've see. got an eye on each side mm -hmm. and there's a there's a symmetry and, yeah yeah it's, it's symmetrical i guess that's a better word for it that that is close um and and we hear about isomorphic uh like javascript apps meaning the front end and the back end are both uh done in javascript that's something that comes up it's not just that they're done on JavaScript, but that they're running the same code. Oh, okay. Or Are they most of the same code? Yeah. So that, like, you know, it basically can pre-render the front end for you and then send that to you, mm -hmm. or serialize yeah. the data structure and then deserialize it nicely on the front end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are uses of ISO, like ISO as a as a prefix, right? <laughs> Endo <laughs> meaning um, the same kind of thing. ISO in this context means bidirectional. So an isomorphism is a morphism that is reversible. So you have an A to B, and then you also have a B to A. Okay. So this one's a little more interesting because there's a little more structure, a little more structure here, right? There's more saying more about this kind of function. So so um, endomorphisms are a subset of isomorphisms. No, because the endomorphism has to be an A to A. An isomorphism is a morphism that's reversible. So there are right. there are endomorphisms that are reversible, which makes them also isomorphisms. But not right. That's, not, what, that's what I mean. Not all isomorphisms yeah. are A to A, though. For example, right. we could have a function from, let's say, a array to a string. We could serialize it to string to JSON kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then we can go from okay. a string back to an array. Yeah. Now, can we go from every string back to array? You know, this is where things get interesting, right? But mm -hmm. it's a it's a reversible operation. So if you can go one way and then you could go back, uh, and and of course, I d you're going to get back your original value, right? 
Right. Um, so, so you'd have to somehow no information is lost in this exchange. Yes, and it might be a property and, um, that comes out of that. Right. There, no, no information is lost, or uh, you know, to the degree you're willing to accept it, uh, some information could be lost. Like um, I've seen it where you there's like. Again, like you could re-derive some things or whatever, or, right? Or, That's or okay. Information is lost, but only on the first round trip, and then thereafter, no information is lost. For example, if you go from a, mm. a float to an int and then back to a float, you've lost potentially information. But from then on, you can round trip as many times as you want to, and you won't lose information. I think, strictly speaking, isomorphism should be uh, completely information preserving. But I have seen things around isomorphisms where in the very first time around you're allowed to lose information but from then on you can kind of do mm -hmm. the cycle now this is what's interesting to me about the vocabulary that comes from a lot of this category theory stuff and this is what makes it really juicy is when, when we talk about isomorphisms now we know that there's certain properties that fall out of that right it's, it's not just a type signature anymore you're saying this is more powerful than just a straight type signature if you're sort of asserting this uh, sort of categorical like property, right? Like, like if I declare, okay, this is an isomorphic function. I've identified it as such. Then now, now we can start talking about it in terms of, well, maybe that's not an isomorphic function because we can't round trip with it. Right. There's lots of right. important information that gets lost. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can convert the types back and forth, but that's not meaningful. Right. Not every string can be converted into an array. In in the array to string back to array example. Is that true? Hello, how do you turn hello world just the string back into an array? Like that that's Well, isn't it kind of like a list in the first place? Like it's a list of characters. So, right. Um I guess what I'm saying is if you had uh, a list that contained hello world and then you two stringed it, you would probably expect to have some denotation in the string to oh, say this like, is an array. Like you don't know that there's the it was words before and then it got joined or something. Right. Like there, there's, there's formats your that your function may not be able to handle. Um, so mm -hmm. saying it's isomorphic, like you're saying, it's more than just the type. You don't just have a array to string and string to array function because there's a lot of those. But if you have a pairing of these and you say these two are isomorphic to each other, you're saying a lot more about what these functions have to do. Right. They have to be able to round trip, you know, that information back and forth. And in fact, um, in languages that have like type classes, it is not uncommon to have an ISO type class. An ISO type class allows you to define a relationship between two uh, two types that gives you the the forward and backward kind of the the to and from functions that allow you to go from one type to another type. Now, our our languages that we often refer to that use these type systems, the the ML derived stuff. Mm -hmm. um, None of them actually enforce this, right? Like they can enforce at the type level that these things are happening, but they can't necessarily. You can't necessarily say this is a isomorphic function, and then it somehow can prove. Right. You would, you need a can... prover, so you would need a Agda Cock Idris type. And when I say Cock, I it's C O Q, um, yeah. named after a mathematician. Um, yeah. And so those languages are capable of proving many of these properties. Um, but at a sort of a burden on the programmer of constructing a proof. Now, okay. you actually have to properly construct a proof. Now, are these like, I don't want to get too far off on this, but are these interconnectable things? Can I just go and say, here's some Haskell code. Can you prove this for me? Um, no, you are you're writing it in Agda or Idris. They're, they're their own. Uh, so they blur the line between a, a proof assistant and a programming language. 
And okay. Agda and Cock are both proof assistants that are capable of generating source code to be run. Mm -hmm. And Idris is a dependently type programming language that is suitable for proving in. <laughs> they come at it from different directions. Okay. If that makes sense. But but I, I can't necessarily like I can prove it, but then I have to make sure that that translates back into my my no, no, language. They'll, well, they'll generate code for you in a variety of languages. Oh, okay, that's a lot more helpful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it mean it's not going to be Java or Ruby or C sharp or I, right. JavaScript. I, I would expect as much. Uh, but there's actually no reason it can't be. Like once the proof has been done, there's no real reason you couldn't then generate code that is correct. It's known to be correct. Um, of course, anything it interfaces with is suspect. That hasn't been proved. But Got anything it. under its domain, up to, up to its foreign function kind of boundary, is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so we got isomorphisms. Yeah, um, yeah. That means there's a to and a from. Endomorphism, bleh, endomorphism means its type is the same on both ends. So it's an A to A kind of function. And you can have an isomorphism that's A to A. For example, plus one has an isomorphic like complement, right? You can do minus one. Right. Plus one, we can reverse that. No problem. Right. But we can't necessarily reverse, you know, uh, what's something we can't reverse very easily? Um, well, plus 0.5. I guess we could, we could always reverse that um, in that case. Uh, converting a, a float to an int. Right. There, we've lost mm -hmm. information. Information has been destroyed. So there's probably no reverse of that. Got it. Okay. Third one, homomorphism. So this one also makes me think of same, right? Homo meaning same. Right. Uh, like a homogeneous list is all the elements are the same versus a heterogeneous list where they they at least could be different. Um, homomorphism, it, it's kind of like endomorphism, but at a higher tier. <laughs> so you know how we talked about higher order functions? This yeah, is yeah. like a higher order morphism. So and homomorphism, refers to that, good. let's jump back over that just real quick sure. so higher order functions being the functions that you would pass something like map or fold yeah function that it's takes the, another here's function. the operation i want you to do right um this is this is perhaps a poor analogy i'm more referring to in a higher order function there's sort of this second tier of function like you're going to run a function but you're going to run it within the context of another function so you got your okay. a b but then mm -hmm. A to B means something a little different when it's like hoisted up and put inside map. Map is now going to do something with it, right? Different right. than say what reduce would do with that A to B. Right, right. Um, it's the same function. You might have two string or something and you could theoretically use that. That might be a little difficult to use inside reduce, but um, you could certainly you have an A to B type function that you could use in different contexts and the context gives it meaning. So the extra context, is what is usually referred to as structure. Okay, it's it's kind of mm. a wibbly wobbly, loosey goosey kind of term, but it you you gain an intuition for what kind of is meant by structure, and it's this extra layer of stuff that sort of constrains and defines, and therefore gives you certainty and and rules about what your data can do, right? And okay. so all these morphisms are a level of structure themselves. These homomorphisms. So all, all the morphisms. Okay. Uh, I mean. Just flat morphism is great, no structure, right? Like like absence of structure. So you can't say much right. about morphism other than it mm -hmm. takes in a value and you basically a value. like I, I have a, a pure function is a, about the extent that Yeah, and, and then we're done, right? We can't really say anything more. Exactly. Yeah. So homomorphism is a structure preserving transformation. 
So a map is a homomorphism. Okay. So if you map over a list because I because I get a list back. You get a list back. That's the important part. If you mm. if you had a morphism that went from list of A to uh, string, <laughs> we've we've lost our structure, right? So a, a right. fold is not a homomorphism. A reduce is not a homomorphism because it destroys the structure of the list and in in the production of the value. And right. even if we went from a sort of container-ish thing to another container-ish thing, if we went from a array of A to a linked list of A, well, I mean, you could say, well, that's, you know, those are roughly equivalent. You probably even have a function that does that conversion in your library somewhere, um, or it takes it in its constructor if it's, you know, object-oriented kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. You still lost the structure, right? You've destroyed the structure. Right. Now, you might say that your list of A to array, linked list of A to array of A is reversible and therefore an isomorphism. But it's not a homomorphism okay. because you've lost your structure in the process. So mm. with the endomorphism, you have an A to A. If yep. we talk about, um, it's hard to talk about type signatures <laughs> audibly, right? But if you think of, um, if you have any background in C Sharp or Java, you can think of a, a, a containery thing, a, a list or an array. Like, let's just go with array. So you have an array okay. of some type, right? It's always, it's parameterized. Array of T. Right, often in right. in Java, it's T. It's um, you know you can use anything, but conventionally that's what it is. Often um, we don't. Uh, often I, I'm going to use lowercase like uh, letters like ABC because that is like the tradition in the functional languages. So I, you might I would say something like you have an array of A, which is means an array that's parameterized by some other type A. Because you can't have an array, you have to have an array of something, right? Ints, strings, some custom data type. Except, yeah. um, okay. So now, if you if you don't have a um, if you don't know which structure you're going to be in, because a homomorphism is structure preserving, but we we want to speak about it broadly. Um, we, we don't know which structure it's going to be, so we can't say it's an array, and we can't say it's a list, and we can't say it's a you know a map right. or a set. Like this, or a... this function isn't going to necessarily know if we pass it to map that we're handing it to map. Well, and, and when we speak of the signature, kind of the general shape of a homomorphism, we want to kind of talk about a type signature, but we don't have a particular mm -hmm. type in mind to be the structure. So usually F gets inserted there. That's just traditional. So you would say I have an F of A, where F is your structure. It could be a maybe. Mm -hmm. It could be an either. It could be a, a now, go ahead, a promise. F, F, is, F is usually something we preserve for functions, correct? Um. It is often used as the name of a parameter for a function. Yes. So what we could say is we could say um, S. You're saying the type, the type of F. Yeah. When you see F in a type signature, it usually means a structural thing. But but okay. honestly, that that's not a that's not a rule. There's no like there's no thing that makes it that way. It is merely conventional, and so you will probably see it written that way. You'll see right. F of A or something like that. Right. Um, but it could be S of A for structural thing <laughs> containing A or, you know, that has A inside it somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just going to say F of A because that you will probably see that written. And so I just want you to be familiar with, with that idea. Right. So homomorphism is an F of A to F of B. The F has changed. The A has turned into a B. Right. So we've preserved Got the structure. It. The F has faded. And, and that... That is the type signature of that map. That is the type signature map. Map takes an A yeah. to B, a F of A, 
and gives you back an F of B. And filter and fold don't match these. Right. Filter takes a A to bool and an F of A and gives you back an F of A. Does that jive with your understanding of a filter? Uh, oh wait, no. That would mean it is it is function or it is structure preserving then, right? Yes, filter is structure preserving. Okay. And it, it's it's more than that. It's a strict subset of your original uh, structure. It can't produce okay. new values. It can only reduce. So, or in the terms the of like a quote unquote data structure, you've changed the data structure, but. It's not a structural change in the sense that it's no longer a list. Correct. You have not swapped out the essential like aspect of which data structure you're dealing with. Right. That's correct. So homomorphism, f of a to f of b. The f stays the same. You have uh, mnemonics to help tell these apart. Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, but an, uh, an exercise for the audience, perhaps. Yeah, I, I would love to hear if people have mnemonics. I, I've never heard of a mnemonic and. Uh, that never occurred to me. I'm not really much of a mnemonics kind of person, to be honest. Okay. Uh, okay. So that is uh, steel trap. That <laughs> no, it's like banging my head against the wall until it finally cracks. Uh, uh, yeah. I won't say if it's my head or the wall that's cracking. Um, so we've got uh, homomorphism f of a to f of b, and we said that map is a homomorphism, filter is a homomorphism, right? Because we don't mess with your structure at all, we just may, might give you less of it, <laughs> you know, the same structure with less stuff inside, potentially, right. um, or, or might be the same if we don't filter anything out. So our last one is catamorphism, and catamorphism is our third thing that didn't fit that shape. Catamorphism is, is, is fold. It fold. It is fold. Okay. It's reduced. So catamorphism is, I mean, like in the strictest technical sense, catamorphism uh, is a, <laughs> the unique homomorphism from one algebra into another algebra. And when we talk about algebra, we talk about like a set of operations that are possible, right? And we could talk about okay. like the, the algebra of console operations. Like what can you do with a console? You can, you can write to you it. Can, you can write to it, you, you can read, read from, from it. it. That's your algebra, you're done. You can write, okay. and maybe there's like sync or async variations to that, but basically you can write to it and you can read from it. It's a very simple right. algebra and it gets used in examples as a very simple algebra because it's so nice and clean. But we can mm -hmm. talk about the algebra of HTTP operations, right? And, and the yeah. important thing here is there's a, a, discrete, um, a discrete set of operations and it is well known uh, what happens when you apply any of these operators, and when I say operators are basically like your functions, right? Your things that do stuff. Um, it's well known what would happen. And uh, specifically, algebras are deconstructible. If you have a big operation made up of little operations, you can always um, sort of substitute in the little operations until the whole thing is made out of the primitive parts. So you can always break a big complex thing down into its constituent parts and understand it by building it back up. Like you, you can okay. move up and down like the sort of, People would say that's yep. like abstraction. It's really like um, adding structure, <laughs> which is different from abstraction. Um, although it's 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 just a way it's a way of modeling the problem. Yes, and there's a whole um, field out there if you're interested in this called denotational design, which centers around starting by constructing an algebra for your domain. Like, what are the things that we can do with an invoice? What are the operations for an invoice? What are the sort of the nouns of our system? If you've if you've looked at like domain driven design. Um, this would be similar to that, except a little bit more formal and a little bit more so, rigorous. 
I'm, I'm curious here because I know you've perhaps applied this thinking to your workplace, uh, working on Git Kraken, mm -hmm. right? Shameless, shameless plug for <laughs> you, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, so what, what does the algebra of Git look like? So that is actually something I've been wanting to do and have not had an opportunity to do. Okay. Um, Git is a very, very large algebra. Um, it, it seems like at the surface level, Git seems really simple because it's like, oh, there's these, you have branches and you have commits. Right. And that's about it, right? Like everything else is kind of sugar on top of that. Yes. More or less. Uh, yeah, you have you actually have commits really is the core. And then you have what are called refs, which are branches, tags, refs, basically right. everything else. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and those are your kind of your two blocks. And yeah. uh, commits that aren't referenced by ref are basically garbage and get garbage collected when you do your clean operation. So the, Git is pretty big. There's a large surface area. Sure. If you're interested in this, um, Connell Elliott did in uh, 2015 at, I believe, LambdaConf 2015, um, he did a presentation on denotational design where he talked about a like a graphics API. And I think that's a really good talk. Like if you're interested in this, you should go do that. And I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to get that in the show notes for this episode. Excellent. Um, so uh, when we're talking about algebras, we're talking about sets of things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And a catamorphism goes from one set of things you can do to another set of things you can do. So we, we've talked about the type signatures of some of these other things, you know, homomorphisms and, and whatnot. Uh, a catamorphisms type signature uh, if you're familiar with fold or reduce, it's going to be that that same type signature. So to refresh people's memory, we have a, a function that goes from a sort of uh, current accumulated value and a current value that you're operating on. So it's often this is like the aggregate or the sum or the total or you know, whatever kind of thing you're doing, you have a function that takes that value <laughs> and the current value, where current can be pretty abstract in a sense, but you're you're folding over or you're reducing some, uh, you know, some amount of things or, uh, you know, a stream of things, or it could just be a single thing like maybe, but you're handed those one at a time and you're supposed to fold or merge that in with sort of your aggregate, right? So you have those two values, sort of your total so far and the current value, and you're going to then produce a new total sum, whatever you're calling it, type value. So we might call that um, A and B to A. That's like a function, right? A and B to A, where A is sort of your final result type that you're going to get back. And then we have a initial value, an initial A. And then we have an F of B, where F is our thing that we're folding over, our foldable thing that has a bunch of B values. And then that whole big mess returns finally an A. We have an A and a B to A function. That's our, that's our folding function, our reducing function. We have our initial A value. We have our F of B, which is our foldable that has you know, some, some number of B values. And when we're all done, we'll end up with an A. Because we're going to take those Bs out of the foldable one at a time, merge them together, producing a new A value, and then keep doing that till we're out of Bs, and then we'll have a, our final A, and we'll hand that back. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Fold fold is definitely like the trickiest of these um, sort of quote unquote basic functions. Easier to see than it is to describe. definitely just go look it up, and you'll be like, oh, okay, that's that's what he's saying. Yeah. 
Um, so when we talk about um, catamorphisms or, or fold or reduce here, uh, often people think of that as, you know, canonically like a way to get a sum, right? If you, if you apply uh, plus as your reducing function, so plus takes the A and the B in that case would both be say ints or numbers or, you know, whatever the type is in your language, your initial value, your initial A value would be zero. And then your F of B would be like a list of integers or something like that. Right. And it, and we would add them together and keep getting a new sum until we're done. And then we'd, we'd have our final A at the end would be basically the total. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one usage. That's the total. common example. Right. Let's yeah. let's yeah, tally some things up. Uh, in, right. in C sharp, Link calls it aggregate. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in uh, functional languages like uh, your Haskells and your Lisps and stuff, or F sharps, uh, there actually are two variations of fold. There's fold L and fold R, which is fold from the starting from the left end of the thing of the foldable thing, or folding from the right end. Most of the time, fold L just to start with that. That's the one you want. Um, but there are some cool things you could do with fold R, like fold infinite streams like of the, things. The NAND gate of functional programming, right? If, the fold? Yeah, if you're, if you're familiar with electronics, like NAND gates, you can compose to build any other gate that exists. Uh, yes. And fold. fold R is sort of your, well, f between fold L and fold R, you kind of have your NAND gate. Yeah, yes. and you would never actually want to build it that way, but, you know, Conceptually, there's like a connection there, I guess. Yeah, you can express the others in terms of yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, getting a sum of numbers is a, is a clear take a bunch of things, a bunch of numbers, and reduce it or fold it down into a single value. That's Re Redux does different. something like this too, but it doesn't just tally things up, right? Uh, Re okay, Re take Redux, they call them reducers in there, and really they should probably call them catamorphisms, right, or something. That would have definitely helped their adoption. They would have had way more popularity if they had just called them yeah. catamorphisms. And so what they do is they give you the original state in an action, and they expect you to produce a new state, right? So in this case, the message is the is the B. Um, that's sort of the the thing that you're folding over is sort of like conceptually a infinite stream of messages that are going to come in throughout the lifetime of your application. Right. And your A, your your state, is uh you know your application state in that case yeah. right and you're going to fold a message into you're going to combine a message and application state and produce a new application and, and the state. simplest thing is like i typed a letter and it's like okay well let's go take the string that came from that text field you typed in and i'm just going to cram it into this one field here right like update some part of a record an object yeah. somewhere that says okay you used to have abc now you have abcd right and and that gets returned as the new state and effectively all you've really done is like updated a field but because it's because it's run through this function you had to use a new value now you have you know like automatic rewind and you can it gives you a chance to make more complicated transformations without having to worry about what the prior state of everything was Yes, that makes sense. Like, like, oh, oh, well, actually, you typed in there. Now I have to run validations too, and I have to go check all my other fields, and then that might produce more than just a string change. Now I've got all these flags that got set and that kind of thing. Yeah, the reducer gives you a very nice place to to do all that logic. So that's another like very different example. We're not creating a sum over a finite list of numbers. We're creating a transition of state to state 
by way of a message, but still fold. Now, using this, using all this new jargon that I'm learning in this podcast today, uh, is is the action one algebra and the state is another? Okay, so in in terms of that that uh, sort of book definition of uh, uh, mapping from one state to or one algebra to another, right? Uh, so in this case, we're going. Um, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I'm qualified to answer that. Okay. Uh, so we are, uh, yeah, our inputs are, we're going from an F of B, which is a effectively like a stream of messages, if we want to think of it that way. Yeah. That's our F of B to an A, and our A is a state. So yes, we are going from sort of the algebra of messages that can occur to states that can exist. Mm. Those are sort of the two things that we're mapping between here. Okay. And the states that can exist is, um, at least in like a Redux type system, is necessarily constrained by the uh, possible messages that we have that will induce changes in them through the reducing function. Yeah. So the catamorphism here is constrained because if you only have one message called update search text, then you know that's the only thing you're ever going to touch in your state. And so your state can ha basically. Uh, the possible values of your state are every possible value of that text field mm. or, you know, the area within your state that represents what's in the text field, um, which is still like infinite, but at least it's like one in one field, one strings worth of, uh, of possible states. It's a smaller Not... set of infinite. Yes. <laughs> right. It, it, it's very unfortunate that when we talk about, um, we haven't talked a lot about um, how types sort of represent um, the set of possible values that can exist. No, not yet. Um, we, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, it, it sort of veers off into a little more abstract. The way we're kind of this episode's a little bit more in that territory. Although this starts to hopefully hint at some of the cool stuff that you can get in terms of the way you think about stuff. Because you probably, I mean, if you've used Redux, you probably haven't thought of it as a fold. Even though they call it a reducer and you, you may be used to reduce from Lodash or, or Ramda or something like that. they actually introduce it as that, don't they? Did you introduce it as a fold? I don't okay. remember. I have the feeling that most people gloss over that and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they think of it as a function from action and state to state. Right. <laughs> and, and the fold part is probably because it's behind the scenes, right, right? right? It's handled internally by Redux. That part is less interesting. Um, but the idea of going from one kind of thing to another kind of thing is um, very powerful. And folds are, are very powerful. In fact, we could talk about, um, we could talk about going from, you know, Let's say we had an array of, or a list of strings. Could we fold into a list of ints? Like, could that be the result of our reduce? Could we reduce a array of strings and end up with an array of ints? How would that look different from a map? It, it would be a map. We would just be implementing okay. map okay. via reduce. But the point is, you don't have to always end up with a singular thing, right. a, a one thing at the end. Or, I mean, a it's list not actually a, necessarily reducing. Right. So reduce is a little bit uh, misleading in that sense. Uh, fold also sort of implies a reduction of things, yeah. of a, a shrinking of, of elements, which is not entirely true. In fact, you could have a quote unquote, a reducer. <laughs> you, should, you should think of it as origami, like you're changing the shape of it. You're reconfiguring. Although it's, you could do more. You could say for every, every time that, um, uh, B comes in, I'm going to put two A's into my new thing that I'm reducing into. Mm, yeah. There's nothing that says you can't right. do that, right? Right. Um, so, for example, you know, you could... Um, and I guess 
that's that's where that's where uh, of uh, catamorphism really comes into help there, right? So you've got like a log that you're going to aggregate, and some items are going to have multiple log entries, and some may not have any. So there's not mm-hmm. a one-to-one mapping. There's like an N to M kind of thing going on. Absolutely, yeah. So you could use a catamorphism, uh, a fold, to produce a histogram. Okay. For example, right? So you have like log entries, and you want to count the number of times that each of these various kinds of things occur. I mean, you could produce a very complex state as a result of that. You could say, I want to, uh, you know, go, go through this big list of logs or, you know, events that have happened. And I want to, every time I see one of these, I want to count that. And every time I see this other thing, I want to count it and I want to analyze it a little bit further and maybe add it to this, you know, list that I'm kind of building up. You could do a very complex sort of uh, translation of a bunch of logs or events into a report, basically. That's a catamorphism. Logs to report. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a fairly complex one. Right. But that's totally a legit uh, fold type operation, reduced type operation. And so are the, so these are these are transferring from one algebra to another. Yeah, and I mean I wouldn't get hung up on the algebra part too much. So yeah. much it but I just wanted to make the point that you don't necessarily have to just sum a number. Right. Like like to a lot of people that's all there is to fold or reduce. And that's just scratching the surface of what you can do. Right, right. So we cover a lot. It's a lot of words. There's a lot of words. The terminology. Hopefully it's a little less scary at this point for most people. Uh, fold or you know, reduce the catamorphism is definitely uh, is the most complex in terms of uh, it's the most general. And as we said, filter and, and map can be expressed in terms of uh, fold. So it's strictly more powerful. And, and again, um, these are all pretty um, bare bonesy kind of things, right? Or I guess that's not true. Uh, Fold is probably the most bare bonesy, and you're much more likely to use something like map or filter. I wouldn't suggest doing your mapping and your filtering uh, through fold, right? Unless you need to do something else, something that those by themselves are not capable right, of. Right. Makes sense. Cool. Well, I think that's it for this week. So we want to thank everyone for joining us. As always, you can email us contact at lambdacast.com. We love hearing from you. And keep on sharing the word. If you want to go rate us on iTunes or Google Play Store, we'd love that. We're also on SoundCloud, aren't we? You can visit us directly on SoundCloud. And uh, that's a place where you can leave comments that we'll see, that we get notified of. And that's where the show notes will be. All right. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.